This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. The Buck Sexton Show. We're very pleased to be joined now by author Mark Pendergrast. He is the author of Uncommon Grounds, The History of Coffee and How It Transformed Our World. Mark, great to have you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, So uh, first, if we could tell me a bit about the discovery and sort of the, the earliest days of coffee, the one thing that I ingest every day that I could just not think of living without. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's a little unclear. Uh, it, it's fairly uh, certain that somebody figured out to throw the seeds into uh, uh, the embers of a fire and uh, roast them and then grind them up and put them in hot water. I think it probably happened by accident. Sometime in the 1400s in Ethiopia, which is where coffee grows naturally, it's the birthplace of coffee, so I would say probably then, but there are hints that it was used before that, that people knew that there was something magical, caffeine it turns out, and some other things, in the beans and also in the leaves. So they would make uh, a sort of a fermented wine out of the cherries, uh, and they would uh, brew the leaves as well, but probably the 1400s. And how did it make its way? I mean, Ethiopia, obviously kind of off the beaten path for the cafes of Europe. How do these beans that are growing in Ethiopia uh, make their way into markets? Where do we get Turkish coffee? How does all that happen? Well, first, the Arabs, the Arab world discovered coffee in a big way, uh, and there were coffee houses throughout uh, that world. They wanted to keep it a monopoly, uh, so they wouldn't let any fertile beans be exported. Uh, they were growing them in Yemen across the Red Sea from Ethiopia as well as there. Uh, so for a while, uh, Europeans heard about it. Uh, the travelers brought back tales of this hot black brew that everybody sat around drinking uh, as the social beverage. Uh, but it wasn't really until the 1600s uh, that Europe discovered coffee in a big way Starting in about 1650, by 1700, there were 2,000 coffee houses in London alone. And coffee really was responsible for changing the way of life uh, in Europe. Until then, people drank an awful lot of alcoholic beverages, uh, and so they sort of sobered up, and it produced a lot of uh, wonderful results, Uh, literature, music, uh, and a lot of revolutions, as a matter of fact, were planned uh, in coffee houses. Yeah, this is, I know is mentioned America. in the literature from your book. Uh, what's the what's the role of coffee, my favorite beverage, in overthrowing governments? Well, I think it makes people uh, think more clearly and uh, become more sociable in terms of, of planning things together. So. You know, one of the early stories in the book was that the uh, governor of Mecca didn't like people writing satirical verses about him in 1511, and he tried to close the coffee houses, and he failed to do it then. 
so there's a long history of sort of uh, uh, fomenting uh, uh, seditious thought in coffee houses. And it's been so. It was it, where was it banned? By the way, I mean you mentioned the bans. Where has coffee been banned in the past? Well, the governor of Mecca tried to ban it there, but uh, he was quickly overridden. Um, in Germany, uh, uh, King uh, Frederick the Great uh, decided that everybody should drink beer. He didn't like coffee being uh, uh, grown. Uh, I mean, being uh, imported. Um, I'm trying to think who else banned it. The, the Turks, uh, some Turkish guy banned it for a while and had people sewn into sacks and thrown into the Bosphorus if they drank coffee. So there were many efforts to suppress it. A, a lot of people thought that it was bad for you, um, uh, including in America. Uh, around the turn of the 20th century, uh, John Harvey Kellogg, for whom Kellogg's is named, decided coffee was horrible for you, and he promoted uh, substitutes made out of barley and other grains. And so that kind of stuck. A lot of people still think that it, it's bad for you, whereas, as a matter of fact, it's, it's actually probably good for you. In yeah, what's your – I mean, you wrote a, you literally wrote the book on this, so what's your take on, on the health benefits or, or the most current research, at least, as to the health benefits on coffee? Well, you know, you can't really uh, test by injecting people uh, with things, so you have to go by epidemiological studies. And But they've done relative and, – and back in the 1980s, early 80s, they thought, oh, coffee causes pancreatic cancer and breast lumps and heart disease and all kinds of horrible things. But the studies weren't done very well, and they didn't, you know, sort out people who smoked from people who drank coffee. And there was a great deal of overlap in those days. Now they've done much bigger uh, epidemiological studies that seem to indicate that not only does coffee not harm you, it helps to reduce liver cancer, suicide, uh, and basically moderate coffee drinking appears to be good for you. And it's the second most valuable exported legal commodity on earth. Uh, what's number one? That's not true, actually. Uh, I I, uh, I helped to promote that myth. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> because everybody in the coffee world kept telling me that that was true. Uh, but it turns out, subsequent to my first edition, uh, in the second edition, I said, oops, that's an urban myth. Uh, coffee's probably about, oh, 15th or something. Uh, if you <laughs> okay, so it's a ways back like, there. All right, what's number Do you know what number one, two, and three are out of curiosity, or at least number one? Number one is oil. That makes uh, sense. And that we always knew. But I think second is something like copper. Uh, so if you're talking about food commodities, it's probably higher up on the chain. But it, it's it's grown in about 50 countries. You ask how it's spread around the world. You know, it, it, it the uh, the Dutch finally got hold of some fertile beans and began growing them in Java and Ceylon. And then the French got hold of a plant, and a French lieutenant in 1723 brought it to the island of Martinique. And from that one plant probably descends most of the coffee in the Western Hemisphere. So it now grows in a girdle between the tropics of Capricorn and Cancer. Uh, it has to be grown in uh, tropical regions where it never freezes. It grows best up on uh, volcanic mountainsides between 3,000 and 6,000 feet up, at least the good stuff, Arabica coffee. Robusta is another brand which you'll mostly find in 
some espressos and instant coffee, and, and that can grow lower down. Where I know Starbucks is opening their sort of high end, uh, their high end stores relatively soon to try to capture that part of the of the coffee market. Right, there's going to be I think ten dollar cups of coffee will be available in these in these new things. Uh, with the most expensive, the best coffee in the world, where does it come from? Well, you know, you, uh, there's big arguments about that. The most expensive coffee tends to be the most rare, but not necessarily the best. So, for instance, Kopi Luwak is, I think, the most expensive coffee still. And that's coffee which is digested through the gut of the civet cat and pooped out the other end. Uh, and it adds a certain je ne sais quoi, gutsy quality to the coffee. I've heard about this. This is really <laughs> a thing that, that people drink? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's considered a real delicacy in Indonesia. Um, but... Uh, you know, some of the most expensive coffee in the world that's uh, processed normally is Panama Gesha uh, or Jamaica Blue Mountain, everybody has heard of, or Kona. And they're, you know, it's it's like asking somebody what's the best wine in the world. Um, you know, it depends on your taste, and there are so many wonderful and different wines, and the same thing is true of coffee. Uh, it's you know some of the best coffee in the world is still grown in Ethiopia. It's really quite unique and wonderful, and particularly in an area area called Yirgacheff. Um, but I also love coffee from uh, Guatemala, from Costa Rica, from Papua New Guinea, uh, from uh, Kenya. Uh, there's some wonderful coffees coming out of uh, India from Thailand. Who knew? In fact, I wrote another book about coffee from Thailand called Beyond Fair Trade, which just came out last year. There's one other thing I wanted to mention, by the way, that's not so jolly about coffee. It has a history of slavery. The Dutch enslaved the natives of the East Indies in order to grow coffee. It's a very labor-intensive crop. Uh, and the Spaniards and the French uh, brought Africans to grow their coffee trees, slaves, the Portuguese to Brazil. In fact, Brazil had slavery until 1888, longer than anyone else in the Western Hemisphere, because uh, of coffee. And to this day, you know, you have to be careful about where your coffee comes from, which is why fair trade coffee has become popular, because you can be sure that they're treated decently. Uh, but fair trade is not the only way to, to make sure that you're getting – I mean, the good news is if you're drinking really good coffee, probably the people have been treated decently. I'm speaking to Mark Pendergrass, who's the author of Uncommon Grounds, The History of Coffee and How It Transformed Our World, available on Amazon. You can also go to markpendergrass.com for more, and he has more recent books as well. Uh, Mark, I want to ask you, whenever I'm in uh, – I'm here in New York City, and, and I go into a, a coffee shop where – they have this board full of all these different names, but a bunch of them strike me as Italian because they clearly, you know, cappuccino, macchiato. How did that all start happening? Well, the Italians started to, you know, Venice was a great importing place, so they began to get coffee beans back in the 1600s uh, very early on, and you had street vendors. So they developed, you know, espresso was invented by an Italian around 1901 where you very finely grind uh, roasted coffee, and then you force hot water through it at high pressure, and it produces what we now know as espresso. So 
cappuccino and macchiato and all those other things are just basically uh, milk with uh, some coffee in it. <laughs> no, I, I know what it is, but where does it come from? I mean, I drink it all the time, right? But cappuccino, is it, right. I remember, is it the cappuccino monks or something like that? Aren't there these stories about this? Um, yes. Supposedly, they're the first ones who made it. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it, it certainly comes from Italy. You have to be a little careful. I mean, the Starbucks version of a latte or a cappuccino isn't necessarily what you're going to get in Italy, and, and they don't tend to drink it except at breakfast, maybe. Um, so they drink a lot more straight espresso than we do. Do you drink black? Are you, are you a black coffee man yourself, if I may ask? I mean, you spend a lot of time knowing about and setting coffee, or do you throw some milk in there? I do throw milk in there, to be honest with you. Um, when I'm tasting coffee for writing about it, I don't. Uh, I will cup it uh, by uh, slurping just the straight stuff right into my mouth. Um, but to drink it for breakfast, I usually add a little milk. Last breakfast. question for you, Mark. If someone Is there such thing as good, like, sort of Keurig cup-based coffee, or is that just asking for too much? Yeah. I think Keurig is actually uh, quite good. It, I don't think it's as good as fresh roasted and fresh brewed coffee, and my preferred way of brewing is with a French press, although it's kind of messy to clean up. Um, but, uh, no, it's not bad at all. Uh, depends on the beans that go into it. Uh, but, you know, I had a Christmas party the other day, and I dragged my Keurig up for that. Uh, all right. It's a lot easier for guests to use it. Okay, cool. Mark Pendergrast is author of Uncommon Grounds, The History of Coffee and How It Transformed Our World. And, Mark, what's your more recent book? It's called Beyond Fair Trade. Uh, It's an interesting book. It was published in Canada, so it hasn't made a lot of impression here. But it's uh, it's about a little tiny village in Thailand called Doi Chang. It means Elephant Mountain. And it's kind of part anthropological. It's about a hill tribe called the Aka who were persecuted, who used to grow opium poppies, and then they couldn't do that anymore. They were starving to death. Their women were uh, prostituting themselves and getting AIDS. And coffee has saved their lives and made them wealthy beyond their wildest beliefs. And it's sort of like the Starbucks story of Thailand. It, it's. I, I do recommend people take a look at it. They can. They may have to special order it. Okay. Well, everyone's listening, so they can check it out. Mark uh, Pendergrass, great to have you, sir. Thanks for making the time today. Thank you. Take care. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800. 600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645.